Welcome to Legalish on Dash Talk X. I am Demetria L. Graves, certified family law specialist in Pasadena and Beverly Hills. And today I have another special guest, Tatiana Metters, who is a probate attorney here in Los Angeles and my friend. And she's here today because we want to continue our series from last week, Getting Our Lives Together. And we talked a lot about what happens when we don't plan for incapacity or death, because as we said last time, we are all going to die, if not be incapacitated in our lives. So this week, I wanted to talk about how we can properly plan for what might come or, you know, what's going to happen. And Tatiana was the perfect person to help us do that. Say hi, Tatiana. Hello, everyone. And thanks so much, Demetria, for having me. Of course. Of course. So I just want to jump right on in. Why do you think people have such fear in planning for incapacity or death? They don't think about it. Uh, they, they only do when it happens some way, uh, somewhere near them, friends, family, then it uh, gets the ball rolling in their court where they start uh, processing that. But without that happening in their life, they're, they're just not thinking about it. And if they are, it's sort of taboo, and they don't want to deal with a very, very difficult uh, situation. They won't be here anymore. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we're all going to go at some point, some of us earlier than others. That's right. That's right. Uh, unfortunately, we're busy. Our lives are consuming us. And even if we're not consumed, it's just a very difficult uh, subject to really jump into. I mean, yeah, because in all honesty, I've been trying to get with you for, what, a year? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, it is. I don't know if it's. Yeah, some of it I, I don't want to deal with in terms of what's going to happen if I'm not here and my son is so young or right. dealing with that and having to face that reality. But I'm going to give the advice up again to everybody. We have to make sure we not only have instruments in place, but update those instruments once we have them. That's right. So That's right. for starters, if someone says, you you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get my life together. What is the first step? What do they need to do? Well, usually, uh, or at least I should suggest that they reach out to an attorney. Uh, naturally, there are all kinds of uh, methods out there and um, uh, different groups and programs that can assist but attorneys that practice regularly in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think that they should start considering just very generally Uh, what they would like to see happen with their assets, who they would like to see in charge of handling their affairs. Uh, Those are the two very uh, general but difficult decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Usually once they meet with an attorney, then an attorney can help structure uh, what they want to see done, and usually the attorney would uh, provide them with different things that they've never thought about. Right. Now, before we get into the different types of instruments people can utilize, who should someone choose as an administrator or someone that's going to actually divide the assets upon death? Well, you're going to want, and we'll get into later, uh, depending on the type of vehicle that you have, but, but you definitely want someone who understands you, understands your uh 
uh, what's most important to you. And, of course, uh, you're going to set forth specifically in terms how you want them to honor that. And it needs to be a trusted individual, someone that you know uh, is not going to, to have any interest in preserving the estate to the extent that it's not the best interest, but someone who's just going to execute whatever it is that you have set forth for them. Mm-hmm. So what are the vehicles that people can choose in, in planning? So there are two basic uh, instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is a will. Mm-hmm. The other is a trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them allow you to to overall decide who do you want to be in charge, and both of them allow you to designate who your beneficiaries are going to be. Mm-hmm. What is a will? So the will... Uh, the, they're both those instruments that accomplish those goals. A will always needs to be probated. Mm. So it's what is do- probated for people that don't know? So probated uh, means that in order for the will to be, uh, let's see, admissible or to 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 I guess I guess in order for the will to be. Uh, adhere to, you have to have it probated, which means it needs to be filed with the court. The, the court needs to admit it. Uh, the court needs to, to see if it's valid. And uh, that document is going to go through a probate process where it's going to be under court supervision. So why would someone, do people even do wills anymore? Because I, I remember there was a big wave of everyone said, no, no, no to wills, only trust. They do, they do. Wills are are less, uh, let's see, it's not a huge document for the most part. It's very basic. Uh, Wills are are generally something that people do just to to make sure that their affairs are somewhat in order. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a couple of pages, uh, and it gets right to the point. Uh, the problem is with a will, not necessarily a problem, but a will goes through a process. It's called administration. Mm-hmm. And the big difference between the two is that the will's administration is, is under the court's uh, supervision and monitoring. So there's a lot of rules that the administrator has to abide by versus the other vehicles of trust. Mm-hmm. And the trust... Uh, are not supposed to be court supervised for the most part. Sometimes it does happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the trust is going to, to basically anticipate as many uh, things that you can think of uh, so that you don't necessarily need the court to monitor it. So it's going to be very specific, very detailed. Now, who typically will do a will? Hmm. The are there people no... I've seen do a will are the people who who don't necessarily have uh, people in their lives that they they trust mm-hmm. to the extent uh, that this person is going to be marshalling their assets and possessing their assets uh, without being supervised and most of the time without being bonded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen some people who who say, you know, I don't want to pay the cost of a trust. I I just want to make sure that that my desires are in writing and, uh, you know, whatever the cost is that my beneficiaries have to deal with, then, then they'll have to deal with it. How much does it cost to, one, draft a will and then, two, to have it um, go through probate? 
So the cost of drafting the will um, it are, are very minimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it just depends on who you're dealing with, but they're very minimal. And, and a statutory will, I will say, you can find them online. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are technicalities, of course, that, that one must go through, so it's always best to to basically have someone look over it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the cost of a will could be just a couple of bucks to a couple of hundred bucks, depending on uh, the complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, and now the flip side is, although the drafting of a will are uh, generally minimal, uh, the probate administration is where you're going to have your cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are probate referees. That's uh, a person that's appointed by the court. Uh, to basically value the assets, that's a cost. There are filing costs. Uh, there are uh, publication costs. And then, of course, there are costs that are paid to an attorney and costs that are paid to the uh, personal representative of the estate. Ooh, so on average, what can someone expect to pay if they go the will route? The will route on average, I'll, I'll just use Los Angeles County, the average uh, asset. I'll give it about 800000 the average estate. Mm. And uh, the, there is a statutory fee that is charged uh, against the estate, and that statutory fee is paid to both the attorney and paid to the personal representative. So let me just do my calculations. I probably should have before, but... We'll go through it together. It's four percent of the first hundred thousand, three percent of the second hundred thousand, and two percent of the remaining balance up to a certain amount. So for eight hundred thousand dollar estate, you're looking at roughly, am I doing my math right? Twelve and seven, about nineteen thousand dollars. That is for just the statutory fee. Now, if you have an estate where there's litigation, where there's a sale of property, those are considered extraordinary services, Mm -hmm. and those extraordinary services are billed at an hourly rate in addition to the statutory fee. So if you have an attorney, if you have a personal representative, you have statutory fees on a basic estate, you're looking at 19 times 2, what is that, 38,000? Oh, my goodness. Are taxes involved with wills? So there are uh, taxes if there's, for example, a capital gains, but mm-hmm. in terms of when uh, a beneficiary is inheriting uh, assets, mm-hmm. then there is no tax on that. There could be a tax on your fee. We just had this conversation today in one of our mediations that uh, your statutory fee, that's considered income. Mm-hmm. So I'm no tax professional, but that's the only thing, the only advice I'd give on taxes is regarding uh, there would be a statutory, uh, excuse me, a tax on that income mm-hmm. as opposed to the there being a tax on your inheritance. There wouldn't be because that inheritance has probably already paid taxes on that money. Oh, okay. Okay, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back and talk about trust because listening to what you're saying will sound a little complicated. Compli- so. They're expensive. Right. The process. Right. That's what I mean. It seems like that that's a lot of burden on the family and everyone trying to divide the estate. And you already know when money is involved, the least drama, the better. Absolutely. One other thing, since we're on wills, there there's also a delay in the process mm-hmm. because you're going through the court uh, system. Then when you have delays on your filings, on your hearings, 
Uh, and just to sometimes get your actual distribution, you're looking at eight months to a year and a half. Very easy. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so let's take a break, and we will be right back.
Welcome back to Legalish on Dash Talk X. Demetria Graves here, and I am talking to Tatiana Metters, a probate attorney, about getting our affairs in order, knowing the differences between different instruments, and preparing for our death or and or well or <laughs> incapacity. Because I don't think we talk about it enough. So here we are. And listening to you, Tatiana, you talked about the will and the time it takes, the money it takes. Um, Tell us more about a trust. So the trust uh, usually is an instrument that a person selects because they don't want their heirs to have to pay unknown third parties, the court and attorneys, uh, this, this exorbitant cost. Uh, they don't want their heirs and beneficiaries to have to undergo uh, a delay in obtaining their distribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that document generally does not need to go through court. And I say generally because that just because you have a trust does not mean that you'll never have to see the courts because mm-hmm. uh, there are certain types of trust that still require court supervision and there are certain uh, circumstances around a trust that uh, will have it before the court where there are issues with uh, trustees, where there are issues uh, with litigation, and where the, not just and, but uh, also there could be uh, issues regarding the the validity of the trust. Mm-hmm. So that sounds just so much easier if you don't have to go to well. Once you do a trust, who keeps the trust? Who knows where it is? Who knows instructions and all that sort of stuff? So there are plenty of options, but I most often see, uh, and I recommend to to my clients that they. Uh, keep it in in a secure place. Mm-hmm. Uh, a trust is a little different than a will because you don't always need the original of mm-hmm. the document. For a will, you do need to lodge the original. Mm-hmm. But with a trust, uh, we we always say keep it in a secure place. If it's a safe deposit, uh, I believe there are actually companies out there now that you can lodge the trust, uh, and they have some mechanisms method where, you know, your beneficiaries could reach out to them upon your passing or incapacity to obtain a copy. But you can just keep it at home and, and just in a place that's accessible when it needs to be. Okay, so with the trust, you don't have to go. Explain that process. So if someone passes away and it's a trust, then what happens? So a trust, I'm sure they people have heard before, they most often refer to them as living trust, mm-hmm. and that's because uh, it, it uh, once established, once there is execution, your trust uh, becomes alive. It's like a person, and it's holding these assets. So if you have a home, for example, uh, you are automatically at the usually the time that you create the trust, you are. Uh, transferring that asset into the trust. So it's held. Mm -hmm. You don't need a court proceeding or anything to make the transfer. It's there. And uh, the only way that it gets distributed uh, is through your actual terms of the trust. You may have said, I want my property to be held here for uh, my son after he graduates from a college. Something like that. Mm -hmm. So who actually disperses the funds at at death? So 
the trustee is the person who's in charge. They're they're the representative, and uh, depending on your terms of trust, that person uh, has the duty of uh, executing those terms, which are if the property needs an outright distribution, if it says to to my son and daughter equally mm-hmm. uh, upon my passing, then you would transfer it after, of course, you go through some administration. You would transfer it to them. You'd have the power as a trustee through the document to, to transfer it. No court proceeding, no delay. Uh, if you... Let's see if you if there's a cash assets the same. The trustee can access the bank account, and uh, those accounts you could use that money for administration. You could use that money to go ahead and distribute. If you have the certain kind of trust that there is no distribution at least for a certain period, but the funds or the assets are to be held for the benefit of someone, mm-hmm. then. Uh, then that the way that it's structured would be that it's held in trust and there's no actual distribution, but you're just paying for things. They call it health maintenance and support. So you're paying directly mm-hmm. uh, for health uh, bills, paying directly for education. Hmm. It just sounds like trusts are way more smoother than a will. So why would someone elect to do a will instead of a trust? when it's Especially, I would think if you didn't have a lot, because if you go through probate, then it might take a lot of your estate. So why even go that route if you don't even have to go to court in a, in a trust situation? Some people don't like the cost of a trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that is that along with just finding a trusted individual. Mm-hmm. Those are probably the, the main issues. They, mm-hmm. they don't want to... To you know, and it's a process. Right. It, it's not uh, just depending on how it's done. Uh, it, it's usually not you know a, a couple of minutes. It, it really takes uh, deep thought and consideration, and uh, there's a lot of documents, a lot of reading, mm-hmm. uh, things of that nature. So some people just don't want to go through the process. Some people don't want to pay. Uh, some people don't want to deal with it at all. What is the cost of a, a trust? I've seen several ranges, and of course, it depends on the complexity. I've seen trusts start at about uh, fifteen hundred. I've seen them go up to seven and eight thousand. Oh wow! What would cause such a range in the in the cost? What would cost? What would cause um, such a range in the cost to do a trust? So trusts that have several assets, uh, trusts that that involve, uh, let's say. Um, just a lot of um, terms and complexity uh, where you're holding the assets in trust, where where you're, uh, you know, having to make all these decisions. If you, if it's a simple distribution uh, to my son and daughter, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But when you have several different uh, conditions and uh, things that have to happen and several different assets, then your price goes up. Ooh. So what do you normally recommend when someone comes to your office? Do you explain both the will and the trust and let your clients decide? Or how do you help your clients decide which is best for their individual situation? 
So my style is I just I try to get a feel of my client. Uh, some of my clients just they outright want to be directed, mm-hmm. um, and and some of them they already sort of ha- have an idea about what they want. They just want you to to bless it and help sort of structure it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I prefer to to let them tell me, uh, you know, what it is that they envision. Mm-hmm. I try not to to put thoughts into their mind. Uh, well, you sure you don't want to leave it to your daughter? You mm-hmm. sure you want to disinherit this person? Mm-hmm. I want them to tell me, you know, exactly what it is that that they envision, and then I make it happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about incapacity because we don't talk about that a lot, and a lot of people don't even know what that means and what that you know how to deal with that. So, what is the legal term for incapacity, and then? What are some of the tools people use should that happen to them, you know, at any point in life? So there's a variety of uh, circumstances where a person can be deemed incapacitated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it would, for the most part, be up to, we like to leave it up to the healthcare professionals and mm-hmm. uh, psychiatric to make those determinations, mm-hmm. uh, especially where it's questionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but we, you know, there's temporary, there's, you know, we've seen strokes, we've seen, uh, accidents and, and they're, uh, you know, in the hospital for a certain period of time and they're, they're sort of out of it. We've mm-hmm. seen dementia, mm-hmm. uh, there, so there's a number of, uh, conditions that can render someone incapacitated mm-hmm. long-term or short-term. And so what can... Can someone put that in their trust or will what to do if they're incapacitated? They absolutely should because the overall goal for a trust is to avoid the court. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same with an estate plan, having a power of attorney, having a health care directive, that, that's sort of the, the point. Avoid the court, uh, avoid the, the, the law making designations for you, you doing them for yourself. So uh, the, the, the estate plan... Basically, like I said, the power of attorney healthcare directive would help that. Uh, but also, because there are different assets in your trust, then you want your trustee to be able to marshal those assets on your behalf in the event of your incapacity. And those are terms uh, that are entered into the trust, which means either a new trustee, and going back a little bit, Usually, the the settler, the person creating the trust, mm-hmm. they're the trustee. Mm-hmm. So even though the trust is holding uh, the asset, you as the trustee are able to manage it the same way that you pretty much do without your trust. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to take a break. But then when we come back, I want to talk about how is one deemed incapacitated and has there, have you ever seen a situation where someone says, um, I'm fine, but someone is trying to deem them incapacitated to kind of get access to um, their estate? So let's take a break and we will come right back. I want to know who motherfucking representing it here tonight. Hold on, hold on. Murder on the beat. 
watch the breakdown. Legalish on Dash Talk X, and today our topic is getting our affairs in order, preparing for incapacitation, our incapacity, or death. And um, Tatiana and I were just discussing incapacity, what that looks like. And my question to you, Tatiana, was how, who deems someone incapacitated? Generally, you can have the court of law make that determination. Mm-hmm. Uh if you have a trust document, some trusts uh, have terms on how that designation happens. So some trusts will say, uh, upon the opinion of two licensed California physicians, uh, another trust may say, if the majority of the beneficiaries uh, agree that this person is incapacitated. So you can actually have an instrument that uh, that provides a method in making that determination. Uh, if you do not have an instrument saying providing that method, then the court would make that decision. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in a conservatorship matter, that that's something that that's a proceeding where there is question as to one's capacity to handle their affairs. Mm-hmm. So, in a conservatorship proceeding we obtain something called a capacity declaration. So unless the conservatee, that's the person that you need the conservatorship over, Mm -hmm. unless a conservatee is just outright consenting and saying, you know what, even though I I have capacity to execute a power of attorney or a health care directive, I want the court to oversee the actions of this person who's in charge. Mm -hmm. So I'm consenting. The court may not require a capacity declaration. Mm -hmm. But if you you have, uh, if you don't have that situation, then you obtain this declaration. It's usually from their treating physician, psychiatrist, who's going to, to, to uh, uh, complete an assessment. Mm. And that assessment, mo- a lot of times, can be disputed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think before we went for our break, you mentioned, well, what do we do when a person feels like they have capacity? Mm-hmm. Uh, I also do conservatorships regularly, and so I've had so many proceedings where uh, that's the case. Mm-hmm. I'm out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So mm-hmm. in those proceedings, uh, what happens a lot of times is, you know, I, we've seen uh, persons in their hundreds, persons mm-hmm. in their 70s, and, and they're saying, I and, and they present very well. They're very high-functioning, mm-hmm. at least the, the way they present so. And so they're telling you, well, well I pay my bills, and 
I, I uh, you know, go to the bank and handle my affairs, and, and then you're like, well, where's your bank? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, tell me about your income. They can't tell you. Mm-hmm. Tell, me, tell me the last time you paid a bill. They can't tell you. But they will, will be able to at least present mm-hmm. uh, and, and have a very articulate conversation with you, but you have to check their facts because most of the time they're just not correct. Uh, so in those, those circumstances where a person... Uh, believes, you know, or they're in denial, mm-hmm. then you're, you're going through, typically there's going to be an evidentiary hearing, mm-hmm. and you're going to produce your evidence, uh, sometimes testimony of a uh, psychiatrist, to, to suggest that basically this person does not have capacity, and that person, most of the time, will have them come on the stand, mm-hmm. and we'll begin to do just what I said, we'll ask them those sort of questions, and they will answer them, believing them to be true, but they won't be true. So what does the court look for when they're making a determination? They weigh the evidence. So mm-hmm. so I've seen the courts, you, you know, the credibility of the psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. They look for whether or not they're, they're answering the questions correctly. Uh, we've had people come and they're on the stand and they say, well, every day I go out and I walk my dog and mm-hmm. uh, I make sure that my plants are watered, but the person doesn't walk and they're in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So... So the the court sort of makes their observations, and uh, they'll determine based on all of the evidence. I want to kind of shift gears and talk to you a little bit bit about some of the cases that we've seen recently, and we talked a little bit about this last week. A lot of times, at least what I've seen in my practice, is a lot people forget to mention what they want to happen with their young children. So... I think one of the major cases we've seen this year was Nipsey Hussle. From what I can gather from the media is he had custody for his daughter, but he didn't really specify what was to happen in his death. So in a case like that, when a parent has full custody, but they don't say what will happen, then what does the probate court do? That's where the, the law steps in. So you're going to probably need a guardian, uh, to be appointed, you're going. To, there may be a guardian ad litem, a guardian of the estate, guardian of the person. Depends on the circumstances. Um, so, if, uh, so I'm assuming no trust, no will, and without those things, that the court goes based on the best interest. They'll appoint the minor uh, minors counsel. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, if we're looking at one sort of custody decisions for the child and the other is uh, decisions in, in marshalling assets, mm-hmm. the, the court is going to look to who's better in position to do so. Mm-hmm. How can one plan for that in a trust? Can you say, even if the other parent is alive, if you have custody, can you say, I want my kid to go to this parent even if the other parent is alive and well? They just don't have custody. Not custody, uh, but what you can uh, say is with respect to your assets and mm-hmm. with respect to what they're going to, to inherit, you can designate a person to be in charge, um, either nominating a guardian or uh, doing so at, with respect to who your trustee is. Uh, so, so going back to the complexity of trust, uh, for example, some trusts will have uh, multiple trusts within a trust. Mm-hmm. So it may create, it, one trust can create uh, a trust for each child. Mm-hmm. And so that each trust that's created within a trust may have a different trustee. Uh, 
Mm. So uh, that that trustee would be the person who is uh, marshalling uh, the assets and and you know handling the fair affairs of the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but custody that that that's your realm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's not mine. Once it once one of the parties die, it automatically leaves family court. Family court no longer has jurisdiction. So then it's shifted over to probate court. And so in determining who the guardian is, and they're, they're going to look at uh, best interest, where's the child now, how long have they been staying in a certain uh, place, uh, you know, where were they raised, so many uh, factors are considered. Mm-hmm. Um, another situation we saw this year was with John Singleton. Right. And he did create a planning instrument but he did it a long time ago. So he only had one child listed in the initial instrument and had five kids after that. So what is a way to kind of get around that? Do you, and I think I, we talked a little bit about this last week, do you have clients come in after a major event? How do you keep up with your clients and make sure they're updating their instruments so something like that doesn't happen? They should, and and uh, certain estate planning practices uh, offer sort of a, a system where there there's some sort of um, every three months, six months, there's a check-in. The office may send a letter uh, saying, hey, just checking in, or have there been any significant changes? Uh, for me, I, I just sort of uh, indicate so when we're, uh, executing the first plan. Mm-hmm. Listen, when these things happen, you must call an attorney. Uh, when you acquire new assets, uh, when you are uh, married, uh, when you are divorced, mm-hmm. that, that that happens a lot. That's a big deal. Um, you know, when there are these significant life changes, uh, you definitely want to come in and um, execute or amend, modify your documents. You brought up a good point. So what happens if parties do get divorced? I'm going to come back to John Singleton. But what mm-hmm. happens if the parties get divorced, but they don't update their wills? Because I know in our judgments, we say you should look at your will. You should look at your trust and make sure everything is updated. So what happens if it's not updated? You have to. That that is a that document is um, on its face. It's a contract. Now, if you go through intestate succession and you don't have a will or trust, um, so for example, we've had situations where a, a person has passed away during their divorce proceeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, the filing of that proceeding does not disinherit them, uh, but it does take them out of the 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 running of priority in terms of being appointed the administrator of the estate. Uh, But, you know, if the the point is, upon the filing of your divorce, hopefully they get back together, who knows. (laughs) But, but, you know, I've seen that happen. But uh, Mm -hmm. upon the filing, go and either make a plan, change a plan, take go to your accounts. Uh, you know, there's, there's uh, of course, there's community property issues, but sometimes spouses are um, uh, beneficiaries on the accounts. Change those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're, they're, whenever there is a significant life change, you definitely want to go in and see your attorney. Otherwise, you see your spouse and their, their family get those things. Oh, that would have to hurt. I think we talked about that, too. So, 
before I get into that, I want to come back to John Singleton. So in that case, when he has these omitted errors, do they then have to go to court to kind of get everybody involved since there's five additional kids, or how does that work? They do. They do have to go into court, not unless you have this great trustee and all these children or, you know, parents of the children who are all on board and enter into an agreement to modify the trust. It just depends on the provisions of the trust. Mm -hmm. But uh, let's say it's a probate estate, no trust, no uh, provisions with respect to to omitted children or anything, Mm -hmm. then uh, they have to come in and have a determination of heirship. And uh, the, the, the laws for omitted is that they take uh, basically through intestate succession. So even though there is this one child, that child is not going to inherit if, if it was 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not. It, it's going to go um, to those children as well. Of course, the paternity would need to be proven. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's contested. Okay, so let's take our last break. So when we come back, I want to talk about a situation where like Whitney Houston and Bobby Christina. Let's just assume that Whitney Houston left all her property to Bobby Christina. Bobby Christina passes away. If she doesn't have a trust, does Bobby Brown essentially have access to her estate? And essentially Whitney Houston gave him what was remaining after their divorce. Can that happen? Sure can. Oh, my God. Okay. Let's take a break. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Legalish on Dash Talk X. Tatiana, before we kind of close out the session and finish this, how can people reach you if they need to do their um, planning instruments? They are welcome to contact my office. The number is 213-250-9315. Awesome. Web, do you have a website? I should have a website. <laughs> but not just yet, not just yet. If they contact my office, we uh, will send an intake, and it'll get them jogging on different things, and they'll submit it to us, and we schedule an appointment. Awesome. Okay, yeah, I want to talk about the Whitney-Bobby Christina situation. So Whitney Houston gets divorced from Bobby Brown. She has Bobby Christina Let's assume her estate went to Bobby Christina. Bobby Christina passes away. What happens? So let's say Whitney's all of her millions of dollars, they vest in Bobby. So Bobby goes through probate or she goes through a trust, and they are actually distributed to her uh, in her individual capacity. Mm-hmm. Those assets will go if she does not have an estate plan through intestate succession. Mm-hmm. And if Bobby, uh, what was her name? Bobby Christina? Bobby Christina. My Lord, forgive me. Mm-hmm. So if Bobby uh, was not married, which I believe she was not, but that was, I believe, a question at some point. Mm-hmm. But if she was not married and if she did not have any children, her assets would go to her father. That is insane. Is there any way to plan around that? Sure. So the planning could have happened uh, starting with Whitney. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so if Whitney had a trust and Bobby was a beneficiary, instead of the assets vesting in Bobby, uh, meaning you're you're not transferring the assets to her as an individual, Mm -hmm. they could be held in trust. Mm-hmm. And the trust can have provisions that in the event of Bobby's passing, those assets would go to the next person mm-hmm. uh, that Whitney would have or organization or uh, pet, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trust can, can provide for that. The key is that those assets be kept in trust for uh, the beneficiaries. But once it hits their name mm-hmm. um, and it is transferred to them, and they could do whatever they want. She she can say, uh, you know, I'm going to give 50% to dad. I'm going to give to to the veterinarian hospital. And, uh, the, you know, once it becomes uh, Bobby's or the, your beneficiaries, then they can do as they please. Or the law is going to do as it pleases if you don't have an estate plan. Oh, wow. Could you imagine you get divorced, but then your estate then goes back to your ex-husband? Oh, it happens, and, and, you know, sometimes it'll go to the ex-husband, ex-husband's uh, new wife and new children, and <laughs> it, there, a lot happens without an estate plan. It's very important. Oh, wow. So I want to talk about some frequently asked questions, and something I've heard before is, you know, I'm 18 years old. I don't have any children. I don't have any property. Does someone in that circumstance need a trust or a planning instrument? 
They don't. Uh, if they have children, uh, they may want to, to have a nomination written somewhere about uh, who they would like to, to be guarding if they did have assets of some sort. But I'm thinking this one through. I would say no. And, and I also, um, and every lawyer is different, but uh Sometimes a trust isn't necessary when you have uh, accounts uh, because you can just, you know, if it's a simple situation and uh, let's say you, you have your your liquid, then you just name beneficiaries on your accounts. And that way they're not having to go through the rigmarole with probate. They're not having to go through it with a trust. That, that person just walks into the bank and produces the death certificate, and that money transfers. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have sort of a a complex, conditional plan, and if you don't have several beneficiaries, and you don't have real property, Mm. then you you don't necessarily have to have um, a will or trust. If it's cash assets, you just name beneficiaries. Mm. Uh, and now there, there's actually a, a new instrument. It's fairly new, so we're still dealing with title issues. But there is a deed now that functions very similar to a... Uh, to a beneficiary designation on, any, on an account so that if you, with your deed, uh, execute this actual deed, then it just transfers, sort of like a joint tenancy, mm-hmm. uh, but it transfers to, to your heir without need for probate, without need for a trust. So what are some other pitfalls people should look for or what should they be planning for in doing a, a planning instrument? I, I think they they just need to start uh again thinking of who they want to be in charge. Um, you know, the the simpler it is, the the less loopholes there are for attorneys like myself to to uh view and, and have to go into court for interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um so the Keep it simple, but of course, it, it you know everyone isn't simple, and, mm-hmm. and they're very particular about their hard-earned uh, assets, and and you know sometimes they call it ruling from the grave. <laughs> but uh, you know it's your right to do as you please. But uh, if you want to avoid high-cost litigation, um, then then the simpler it is, the better. Mm-hmm. Now, just like family law and a lot of different areas of law, everyone can't properly draft a will or a trust. How can someone identify someone this that can actually do it and it will hold up in court? How can they identify? You know, I, if it were me and I was look and I didn't mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I do, I, I would actually look for an attorney that 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 does estate planning, but also litigates them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they they know what to look for. Uh, they know how uh, the, you know different terms can be misconstrued. Uh, they know a lot more about uh, you know avoiding ambiguities, mm-hmm. uh, and they know how these things hold up in court. So. There are plenty of attorneys that that uh, strictly focus on estate planning, and there's some benefits to that as well. But if it were me, uh, and and if my uh, my goal, one of my overall goals, is I want to avoid 
the court and any issues, I would go with someone who does them both. Mm-hmm. But how can someone know that? Because just like family law, right? People sell you a dream. And if you're not in the field, how are, are there questions people should ask or okay, research like they can do? Yeah, I, I say um, ask them for references and um, ask them for specific cases. It, it's not confidential. It's public record. Uh, if you're looking for an attorney that, that does estate planning but also litigates them, uh, say, well, I'd like to, to look into some of the cases that you've worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, can I get the case numbers? Can I get the county? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you Have any of your trusts ever been uh, litigated? It, you you want to ask them those questions, and you just want to ask around uh, someone who who's uh, been around for a long time. Uh, you know that who are tried and true. Then you know there's going to be someone who can attest to it. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else you would like to share with the people before we end our time together? Just so that people understand, uh, you know that. Basics is really all that you need, mm-hmm. um, and that sometimes I tell people sometimes that that's as good as just write a holographic will, mm-hmm. uh, but just have something in writing um, so that the law isn't determining what's to happen with your hard earned um, or hard received uh, assets. So. If you don't have time to go and see a lawyer or to research, then grab a piece of paper and write out, uh, one, who you want to be in charge, 100% in your handwriting, and two, who you want to receive your property upon your passing, mm-hmm. sign and date it. And uh, hold that document, put it, or at least give it to someone, put it in a secure place until you have time to go and see a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, a nice, easy Band-Aid until you get it done. That's right. But we want people to get it done because my theme this year just in life in general is just getting my affairs in order, right? Making sure I'm saving enough money, making sure I'm planning for um, when things like this happen, making sure I'm planning for my son in the future. And I think just as a community, if we can all start looking at the things we don't talk a lot about, I think we would be better off. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Tatiana, for joining us on Getting Our Affairs in Order, How to Properly Plan for Incapacity or Death. I really appreciate you spending an entire hour with me during the workday. I know that is a lot. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay, everyone. So until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.